Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The episode you're about to hear contains the remembrances of longtime missionary Doris Ferguson as she shared them with Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, November 7, 2021. Throughout her talk, she is grateful for God's goodness to her and her family. If you listen with your heart, you will be moved to Thanksgiving as well. Now, here is Doris Ferguson. I'd like to welcome Doris Ferguson to come and share with us. I wasn't able to go to women's retreat this year due to some health issues, and I understand I missed a treat that several of the retired, I'm not going to say former because you're retired, missionary ladies spoke at women's retreat. And Linda was there and she said, Friends Women had been kind of struggling with trying to find a speaker for today. We didn't know which directions to go, and God just placed it on Linda's heart that maybe Doris needed to share with us today. And so I'm going to pray for her here real quick before she gets started, and then we'll just leave it to her. Father God, we're just so grateful for Doris, for the many, many years that she spent on the mission field uh, with her husband and family. And so, Father, I just want to lift her up to you right now. Give her your peace, give her your comfort, and give her the words that you have for us today. And we just praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Denise. Appreciate being back here again. It's been quite a long time, actually, since, uh, since we've been here. We have been here in the past for the Thanksgiving missions meeting, and it, it was always a joy and a pleasure, something we would look forward to. I think about strange things sometimes in the middle of the night, and one night this week, I was thinking, I am one person in this house, and I have 15 coffee cups in my cupboard and nine on the mug tree beside the coffee pot, and why? And then I thought, you know, they're not really mugs. They're memories. They're Christmas their family reunions, their conferences, their good friends, their grandchildren, all of them have some specific memory. And, and memories are so important. So I'm talking a lot about memories this morning. And also, I have kind of a double theme. One is from one of my recent newest favorite worship songs, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been oh so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing the goodness of God. And that's become one of my favorite new worship songs, the goodness of God. So I want to talk about the goodness of God, the memories that we find in our memories, and I also want to do something because this is your annual traditional mission slash Thanksgiving service. I thought I would teach you a song in Kirundi, and you're going to sing it with me. <laughs> it's only got like four words, so it's not hard. And it's a song that you know a chorus of. Kind of goes along with a lot of the songs that we sang this morning. And you know, God is so good, God is so good, 
God is so good, he's so good to me. You know that song. You've sung it for years. All right. In Kirundi, it sounds like this. I'll say the words, then we'll sing them. Imana Ninziza. Now say that. Imana Ninziza. That means God is good. So you say that three times. Imana Ninziza. Imana Ninziza. Imana Ninziza. And then Iran Kunda. Can you say that? Iran Kunda. That's actually three words in Kirundi, but it's all put into one word. And so I won't go into Kirundi grammar with you. That would take quite a while. But Imana Ninziza, Imana Ninziza, Imana Ninziza, Iran Kunda. That means he loves me. So you ready to sing it? Okay. Imana Ninziza, Imana Ninziza. Imana Ninziza Iran Kunda. Let's do it again. Imana Ninziza Imana Ninziza Imana Ninziza Iran Kunda. Now you can take that home with you and you can teach it to your grandkids. And the thoughts of memories and thinking about in the Bible, it was important. God asked people to remember things, and they gave them the prophets and, and the priests, and they gave special ways to remember things. And one of those places was in 1 Samuel 7, 17. And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And Joshua told the priests to pick up stones and carry them when they crossed the Jordan. When God dried up the Jordan River and they crossed it, the priests were to carry stones and they were to stack them up when they got to the other side. And why? So that when their children and their grandchildren said, what are these about? Then you can say, this is where God did this and this. These stones gave them the opportunity to share what God had done. So in our lives, we need to look for ways to share what God has done. We don't necessarily pick up a bunch of stones, but today I'm going to talk about some of these Ebenezer times when Samuel said, thus far as the Lord helped us, we call those our Ebenezer times. And I'm going to talk about some of them today. And I'm going to tell this story differently than I usually do because I usually start if I'm speaking to a group and they want to know what my life story is or things, I start at the beginning. But I'm going to start at the end and start where I am now in this phase of my life. I would say that my life has come full circle. I was born in Haviland, Kansas in 1937 and settled back there in 2005. And like I said, I'm starting at the end of the story and going backwards, so I hope you won't leave totally confused. In January of this year, 10 months ago now, my husband Willard left this earthly life and moved into his heavenly home. God had prepared a special time for this in my mind and in my thinking because 
Willard had been on hospice care for quite a while, for not quite a while, he'd been on hospice care for about two weeks only. And part of the hospice care means that the hospice nurse or someone will come and be with the family at the time that death is nearing. And we called the hospice nurse and she said, I'm really sorry but we're having really bad weather. We're having a, a blizzard, the roads are icy. They were coming from Dodge City and they said, we're not allowed to come out and drive in this kind of weather. So we called the mortician, Mr. Fleener from Greensburg. And Mr. Fleener said, I'm sorry, but I'm in Oklahoma City and it will take me two hours at least to get there. I'm on my way home, but I won't be there for about two hours. So. Our four children and I were there for about two hours to have time to reflect, to share, to pray, to sing, to, to say our goodbyes without strangers being there, without rushing, without anything. And it was a sacred, beautiful time. And we have thanked God for that time. And the hospice nurse called me later and said, I really want to apologize. And I said, don't. It was perfect. It was just what God had planned for us for that time. Now I'm going to back up a little more and go back to when Willard's health began to fail. This was in 2013. We took a trip to Burundi. And the day after we'd been in Rwanda and then went to Burundi, and the day after we got there, I woke up and I could tell that Willard was not acting normal and that he had had a stroke in the night. So after a lot of time on telephone and talking to our son-in-law physician in the United States and the doctor at the Kibimba hospital, we decided we could take him to Kibimba. And we went there and the doctor who was there from the United States was one who had been in residency with our son-in-law in Wichita. So exciting. How can this happen? And during the next 10 days, we stayed there. He was right across the hall. We had personal care, personal physician. We couldn't have gotten better care anywhere in the world. After about 10 days, Willard was able to fly home on our regular plan schedule. As we started to land in the plane, we were singing softly, sitting together and singing, I don't know about tomorrow. I just know who holds tomorrow. And I noticed the man who was sitting beside me was singing with us. And so I was talking to him, and it turns out he was a man coming from Nigeria, never been in the States before, and that song ministered to him as much as it did to us. Okay, paragraph. Back home to Haviland. Home in Haviland was quite by accident, if you believe in accidents, which I don't, as you can already tell. We had seen a picture of this house when we drove through Haviland and stopped at the post office to mail a letter, and we didn't ever intend to live in Haviland. I wanted to live somewhere where we could have ministry. I would have loved to live in Pratt, come to Pratt for in church, be a part of your group. But we had a friend go look at the house. Nobody answered the phone when we rang the phone, so we went on on our way. And our friend said, yeah, you need to come look at this house. We think it would work for you. And they were encouraging us to move to Haviland. This was after we retired. This was in 2004. And we did go look at it. 
and we paid a down payment and signed the contract that day. Our kids were blown away that we would do anything like that. And at the closing of the, the whole deal in September sometime, the man who was in charge of all that told me, people usually pay the down payment at the closing. I said, what do I know? I never bought a house before. So it, it was a done deal. But we had already made a plan to go to California and live for one year close to our daughter who lives out there because we wanted to be involved in their life and their church and our grandchildren's lives. We'd been gone in Africa all our lives. And so we, we kept that plan. We didn't move into the house right then. But what would we do in California and where would we live? Our daughter Sue was at Kinko's making a print of the song, Is Your All on the Altar. Some of you would remember that song. She was going to give it to her dad for Father's Day. And this song will come up again in a later story. And so she got in conversation with another person who was in line. And then it turns out that this other person worked at a place called Link Care, which was a place that furloughing missionaries could come and find rest and recuperation and counseling if they needed it. And there also was a seniors center there with 50-some units, and they were looking for a chaplain for this situation. And it was a volunteer situation. You wouldn't get paid, but you got free rent. And so she said, I think this sounds like a good position for your folks. And it was. We went there. We lived there for a year. It was perfect. Willard had said after we came home and retired, I know how to relate to Africans, but I'm not sure I know how to relate to Americans. <laughs> and so this gave him a good chance to learn how to relate to Americans. We had plenty of people that we could deal with and talk to and pray with. And there were probably 15 different nationalities that lived there as well. And it was a wonderful year, and we hated to leave when we left. But we had made a commitment for a year, and so we're back to Haviland. What did we do there? Now we've moved into our house. Well, it turns out that Barclay, over the next few years, needed Willard to teach biology, physical science, doctrine of holiness, and a couple of missions classes. And somebody asked me if I would like to work at the local clinic. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been oh so good. So we're going to back up again. I'm going to go back to Africa now, and I will share a special blessing. Okay, so now I've got all the way back to early in 2004. We had officially retired from Evangelical Friends Mission at the end of 2003. We had done our deputation. We were officially retired. But then they asked us if we would like to go to Burundi for a semester and teach in the theological school. So we did. And this was a very, very special blessing because we had had to leave at the request of the government about 20 years before that. We hadn't been back hardly at all since then. So to go back and see all the people that we had loved and worked with and lived with for 23 years was a wonderful thrill. 
and to see the young people growing up and taking their positions of leadership. And just this last week, I found a note that Willard had written, and I wanted to just read it pretty much like he wrote it, if I can see it. I can't see really well. He's talking about his cousin, Philip Ferguson, who lived in California, who was an architect and a designer and an engineer and had built a lot of buildings in California. And he had taken us around to see all these buildings. And Willard said they were just absolutely amazing. But then Willard says this, but during our four months back in Guanda and Burundi, God has blessed us beyond measure by showing us things that are more important than big buildings built with brick. Even if they're church buildings and school buildings, he has shown us people that are building their foundation on Jesus Christ that we have known and loved and taught. Willard invested his life in people. That was the important thing for him. So that gets us back to 2004, and now I'm going to go to Gwanda. How do we get there? To get there, I have to back up again to Burundi in July 1985. Actually, earlier that year, we had been in Burundi for 23 years and were involved in education. Willard taught Bible school, secondary school. We worked in vacation Bible school, hospital nursing, caring for missionary kids who were in boarding school. So now they were asking us to go to Rwanda and start the Friends Church there from scratch. We said we didn't feel like we could do that now. It didn't feel quite right for us to be making that decision then. But in July of that year, our visas became due for renewal. And a lot of missionaries during that time were not getting their visas renewed. The government was not renewing them. So when we turned our passports into the immigration department, we put them on the bed and knelt beside the bed before we turned them in and we prayed, Lord, we know that our lives are in your hands. They're not in the hands of immigration. What you decide to do with us is what we are willing to do. And we want to put these passports in your hands. And in a few days, we received our passports back with a nice, polite letter that said you have 10 days to leave the country which was not exactly what we expected, but we weren't all that surprised. But we were comforted by the word from our daily light that we read that day, and I want to read that to you from Isaiah 49:15, And I have it still marked in that book. I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come for you. Can a mother forget her little child and not have love for her own? Yet, even if that should be, I will not forget you. So we told EFM, yes, now we'll go to Gwanda. But before we could go there, we went back to the States, where my father, who was a pastor, had had a stroke that very week, the week that we were told we had to leave Burundi. So Willard and I moved in with my parents, and Willard took over my dad's job as pastoring that church, and we stayed there 
for several months until the next year. At the end of that time, we did go to Gwanda, but Willard's time there as being pastor was very important, and this is the reason the church asked Mid-America Yearly Meeting to record Willard as a pastor. He had never been recorded pastor. In Burundi, that was not important. But now, as being the official missionary, the one who will be making the government contacts, the one who will be signing the papers, it was important for him to have this official recognition as a pastor. Otherwise, it would not have happened. God knew what we were going to need before we knew. So we moved into the new country with a new language and new expectations where the plans that God had made for us were already in place. And we became involved in training pastors and church leaders, and along with other missionaries that some of you know, the Thomases, the Thornburgs, and the Youngs. Then in 1990, there started to be a lot of political upheaval in the country, which culminated in 1994 with, with the genocide when there were uh, a million people killed in a hundred days. They say the most people killed in the shortest length of time in the history of the world. Willard was with a preaching team that week in the south of Gwanda on that day in April and was planning to spend a week there, but one of the pastors wasn't well and needed to come home, so that day they came home in the afternoon. If he had not come home, I'm not sure what would have happened because all of the rest of the group that they were with died there where they had been. That was on a Wednesday, I believe, and we were evacuated to Kenya on Monday after that. During that time, there were about 15 so of us basically hiding in our house, hearing grenades and gunshots all around us. The whole thing started when a plane carrying the president of Burundi and the president of Gwanda was shot down with ground-to-air missile while coming in to land in Kigali. We heard that missile, but we didn't know what it was until later that evening. I'm going to read the devotional verse that was there for that day that was very meaningful to us as well from 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my stronghold my refuge and my savior from violent men, you saved me. During those days, Willard felt like he should be sorting important papers and doing things like that, but he said he only had a heart for reading the Bible and praying for himself and praying with the people staying in our house. And we had said we wouldn't leave those who had come to us for protection, and we didn't have to. Another missionary came in a covered pickup on a Saturday and they were able to load everybody into the back of the pickup and go to a nearby evacuation center, a school that had become a base for the Belgian United Nations soldiers. It was also a center for over a thousand Gwandans who had come there for safety. We were there with other missionaries and expatriates waiting to see what would happen. Each of us had come with this very small carry-on. On Monday, it was one of the hardest things I have ever had to listen to and watch. A Belgian commander stood in front of the thousand Gwandans and told them that the Belgian soldiers were leaving, who were there to protect them, 
and that these people should try to save themselves as best they could. I was devastated and heartbroken, and I can remember that scene to this day. Then they loaded us with other expats, and we were taken to the airport, and we were able to take two of the people who had stayed with us on the plane with us to Kenya. And there we made phone contacts with family and members of the mission board. It was the first time since the Wednesday before, and nobody knew where we were, what was happening to us during those days. So it was a very emotional time to get contact again. I don't have time to talk a lot about all the things that were happening during those days and happened to us during those days, but I will say that eventually, along in July, both Willard and I were both together in Congo, where we were kind of refugees and we were trying to prepare for the Gwandan refugees we knew would be coming. And they came in by the thousands, and almost immediately there was an epidemic of cholera, which was killing 20,000 people a day. I was working with doctors of the world in the cholera camps, and I would carry water, but it didn't last very long. I was also able to help with trying to help children be re reconnected with parents or many children who would gotten separated from their families. But with the cholera situation, there was a spiritual lesson that I learned. People were lined up in front of a table where they would be giving treatment, and they were waiting for a pill or a shot or something that would save their lives when what they really needed was good, clean water and fluids and lots of it to save their lives. And this showed me the picture of the world that we live in. All around us are people who are looking for the quick fix, the friends, the money, the job, the relationship that will solve their problems and feed their hungers. And what they need is the water of life. Jesus came to give that water of life, and he promised us as his followers that we would also be overflowing with that water. There is no need to run out. I would run out of whatever water I took with after a few people. But we have to be ready to share the water that we have. Jesus said in John 7:38, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from him. That's our promise. All right. Eventually, in August, we got back to Gwanda, and our lives were quite changed. Our home was no longer there. It had been demolished. It had been blown up. Pastors were in Congo. Reconciliation and relocation were the words of the day. Willard was spending a lot of time helping pastors to get back to Rwanda and to their churches and their congregations. Many homes that weren't destroyed were moved into by squatters or anybody else who wanted to move into them since they were empty. Our house had been a rental house, but still I felt badly that it had been blown up. Until one day, I realized that God had used even that in this way. When we left the house, because Willard was a legal representative, we had all the papers, the deeds for property, the church papers, the permission for being an official church in the country. They were all in our house, and we left them there because we thought we'll be coming back in a few days. 
We had no idea what was actually going to happen. When we did return, we found help and dug through the pile of bricks and rubble and found all of the papers that we needed, all of them protected underneath these piles of bricks where his office had been. If the house hadn't been destroyed, someone would have moved into it and taken all those papers and burnt them for cooking fuel. God protected those papers in his way. So we continued in Gwanda, and David and Debbie Thomas came in 1997, a real answer to our prayers because we knew that the time would come soon for us to retire, and we did not want to do that without having someone to take our place. We had a plan to retire in 2002, and that would give us 40 years of service in Africa after arriving there. Early in January of that year, Willard spent several hours teaching pastors about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. And at that time, he taught them this old song that I mentioned earlier. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. This was one of his favorite songs and one and the one our daughter had made a, a print of to frame and put on his wall. A few days later, after teaching this class, early one morning, Willard told me he didn't feel well. So after listening and talking to him, I felt like he was probably having a heart attack. Our son-in-law, who was living in Guanda at that time, had been at our house for the weekend, but he'd left early that morning. So I got on the cell phone. We did have cell phones by then. And I tried to get him on the phone and finally got a short message across. He recognized the need, turned around, and was at our house as quickly as he could be and agreed with my diagnosis. And he was able to connect with the doctors in the Kigali Hospital and have them ready to accept Willard when we got there. He was there several days, but he didn't improve over time. And finally, in April, we came to the United States where he had bypass surgery, which wasn't very successful. Two of the bypasses immediately closed, and he had another heart attack in the recovery room. Willard says that going into surgery, the song that he had taught, Is You're All on the Altar, was his comfort, because he knew that for him it was true. He knew that he had that peace and rest, because he had yielded his body and soul. That was in April. He still wasn't improving, and in August needed stents placed and got them, and after that began to gain some strength, and we were able to go back to Gwanda in 2002, and we were there until we had a lovely retirement send-off in November. So I'm just going to go back one more time, I think, and go backwards to how did we even get to Burundi in the first place? I graduated from nurses' training in August 1958. Willard graduated from Brand Bible College in, in junior college in 1958. He decided to do a third year there concentrating on Bible. I decided to go there and take a semester of Bible preparing to be a missionary nurse. So I went in January. We were married in August. So you can just fill in the blanks between there. 
our relationship moved along rapidly, and we were married in August of that year, and we moved to Hayes and lived in an 8 by 35-foot uh, trailer mobile home that we paid $1,600 for. That may not sound like an important fact, but it is important. In January of that year, we went to Haiti on a mission trip, and during that time, Wildred felt, yes, this is for sure what God wants him to do, to be a missionary. And so we came home from that Haiti trip, but that was our plan, and we applied to go to Burundi. In April of 1962, the president of the mission board called us for an interview, and we were scheduled to leave in September that year after Willard graduated with his master's degree in biology and his teaching credentials. So we did. We arrived in Burundi, and the first thing we needed was a vehicle. We had sold our mobile home that we lived in for three years in Hayes for $1,600. In Burundi, there were no used car lots. But there was a man who had ordered an Opal station wagon from Belgium in September 1961, nine months before we knew we were going to go to Burundi. That car arrived in Bujumbura the same week we did. And he wanted to sell it for $1,600, of course. We bought it and drove it for 13 years until our family was too large for it. Why is that important? You can see that right off. Because for the next 40 years and even more years, that is an Ebenezer stone for me. God knows what I will need and when I will need it, and he is prepared for it far in advance. So I've taken you all on a 62-year-old trip, and you're probably very confused. So fortunately, we have time to be together later, and you can ask me questions. I have not even mentioned the fact that we have five children and 14 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren and that our oldest son has been a grandfather three times, which that's very difficult to comprehend. And I haven't had a time to point out all the Ebenezer scriptures that have been foundational to my faith, but I want to share one last scripture that was the scripture that our pastor spoke on the Sunday before we left for Burundi the first time. And it comes from 2 Timothy 1, chapter 8. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control. A few years after we lived in Burundi, the Living Bible came out, and the translation in that it just fit my life. For the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to love them and be strong and love them and enjoy being with them. And that has been my life. I hope that you have been seeing that not only in my life, but in your life, you've seen where God has been working, where God has been faithful, where God has been so good. And I want you to leave here today full of encouragement and thanksgiving and aware of the goodness of God. Thank you, Doris. I knew some of that.
<laughs> yes, you but did. I didn't know all of it, and I, it was it was a treat to get to know the the details in between, because I don't know whether you remember or not, but we lived in Wichita at the time that they were forced out of Burundi. I was the treasurer for the yearly meeting, so yeah, I remember. You those probably times. know a lot. More I remember about those times very, 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 very well. So um, we're just grateful Thank that you. God used you in the way you did. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for Doris and for her life and the ministry that she had in you and her faithfulness to you as well as your faithfulness to her. And so, Father, we just want to close today being grateful, being thankful for your faithfulness. And we just give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.